This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Dragon Nanny. If you missed out on the ultra-successful Kickstarter campaign, don't worry, you can still pre-order your copy of Dragon Nanny at ChasingArtwork.com. <laughs> Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. Hello, this is Super Pope Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We are um, just joining us here in the studio is Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork, fresh from Germany via telephone. Yeah, had a meeting with a potentially new client in Germany that found me through the internet. It's a Wonders of the internet, isn't it? That's yeah. the wonders of the internet. Also joining us today is Dan Vadaboncourt, not in person today because no. sad medical reasons. Well, not not yet. We don't know per se, but the, the procedure is they made this very clear this week, although I would have done it anyway. Uh, if a member of your family is has symptoms of the virus, you're you're supposed to all isolate until a test comes back, positive or negative. Um, so my daughter has symptoms is what, what's happened basically. And so she went in to take a test today. We won't get the results for a couple of days, but in the meantime, I'm not supposed to be around anybody else besides my immediate family. So I am self-isolating. So I cannot be near, I cannot be with you guys in person today. Uh, so we had to do it this way over zoom. But yeah. unlike former um, isolation related episodes, you at least have good audio. Yeah. It's cause I so own it. Form. Our yeah. audio is a little bit weak and your audio is weak. <laughs> <laughs> here we are we also got updates this week about uh dragon nanny justin was just telling me and then uh you sent your zoom invitation um yeah. so justin what is news about dragon Nanny? Well, i haven't opened it yet i uh so normally when we print a book because we print locally we have one of the best printers like in north america like right in the backyard um we're able to go to the, the factory floor and see the book being printed and do our sign-offs in person, which is the greatest thing. And it's really, really cool because this is, this building complex is like the size of a small town. It is a small town. And uh, like the, the machines that print books are just ginormous. Um, but because of COVID and because of everything going on, they're, uh, they're kind of halting press checks, which is totally understandable. So instead, what they're doing is um, our awesome print rep, Donovan. Shout out to Donovan. Shout out to Donovan. Um, he went through the floor and took a bunch of pictures of the Dragon Nanny on the press and the first couple of sheets being printed. And I just got a huge attachment sent from him. And I haven't been able to open it yet because we just started the podcast. But uh, he went and took pictures of all the things that I was hoping to take pictures of, I'm hoping. And... Uh, yeah, so I'm super excited to look at that. And probably by the time you hear this, I'll have posted it all online. And this is like generally relevant for anyone who's been following along for the Kickstarter um, updates. It's really good to show your Kickstarter community that you are doing just as you said you've done. And so our original plan was to tour, you know, sort of take the Kickstarter people on a tour of the book getting produced actually and physically. And so the rep is sort of filling in that gap for us. You know, I can just kind of lie as I post them and pretend that I'm there in person. We have pictures of old ones that we did for like Rust and Water and I can just... Do you think anyone would notice that <laughs> your hair is so different from those? 
we can just Photoshop in Dragon Nanny stuff and yeah, just lie, just lie. Right? That's uh, that's <laughs> I hear that's in favor. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. I hear that that's what all you have to do is just lie a lot mm -hmm. and then don't change your story no matter what proof there is. That's anyways, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> anyways. Um, I this week got to have the uh, I had the pleasure of signing a non-disclosure agreement for a uh, uh, project so I can't tell you anything about that except that I'm excited and it's as a result a direct result of the work we did on Dragon Nanny so some of the stuff that showed up in the Kickstarter um, got some people asking just the right questions some just how did you do that questions and uh, so one project always leads to another. Yeah, one project tends to lead to another. And the, the, that's, I think, a really important takeaway of everything that's going on right now in COVID land is that for all the creative people who are just feeling a little ground under, that just get some things done, get them into the world. It'll lead to that next thing, I promise. <laughs> but you've got to get it out there. So it's definitely true. Even... I I've been thinking about this a little bit lately is like the, like my, my book catalog is really growing right now. And all these like little books that I didn't think were such big deals at the time, they're all kind of like adding up to a more and more impressive library that I get to take with me everywhere to, you know, get newer and bigger projects. So it's like, it's all those little things really add up. Even if at the time you don't think this is really going to, do much for you in your career it 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 does it all it all eventually adds up it was neat listening to your phone call um because i could only hear the one side of it obviously and so there was the inevitable question that comes up where you and this is the collective you as a freelancer have to give your bona fides <laughs> without bragging but you have to essentially brag a little bit like you have to work in carefully you know, some really, you did that so well, but it was also, there was a moment where you sounded surprised. Like, oh, well, since, that's probably my, since that project you were talking about, I've done 10 books since then. And then there was like a pause where you're like, shit, that's a, that's a lot of books. <laughs> so you can surprise yourself if you just put one project in front of the other and just keep going. Made, yeah, I think, is, I think Nanny is my 10th or 11th. God, I should know this. Um, but this, this client found me through, and this kind of ties into, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately because um, one, I was talking to somebody who works in the video game industry, and they were kind of lamenting the fact that every project that they work on, they can't really claim as their own, right? They're, they're part of the pipeline. So every single project that comes out, yeah, you worked on, but it's not necessarily something that can go in your portfolio because so many hands are on it. You know, you can't really claim that as, as yours, really. It's, it's only 118th yours. Well, even just that, like, you know, signing the NDA means that any of the work that I like is absent from my portfolio now. So in order, to, in picking this project, I had to be careful that it wouldn't subsume what would otherwise be important portfolio showable work in this mm. calendar year. Otherwise, I can only show last year's work when clients right. are asking me about current work. Yeah. And you don't want to get into that position too often. You always want to be showing current work. So I find that, you know, I've been asked before, how do you, you know, balance that or how do you fill out your portfolio? And I think you have to 
have a few projects that you're making no matter what that are yours that are led by you that are designed by you so that that portfolio stays current because you're always trying something new also to like depending on the the clients and the, the subject matter and everything like if you really if you really want to put that in if you really want to show that you can just ask the clients and a lot of times they're okay with you using it for portfolio purposes. Uh, yeah, again, like it depends if yeah. it hasn't been released yet, obviously not and um, whatnot, but like it never hurts to ask like, Hey, can I, can I show this here? Can I post that there? Can... Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, we're working with heavy metal right now on a project. And one of the things in their contract is that, um, they ask for, I think it's a week's notice. I forget. I, I, what I specifically remember is that there was a timeline that was stated specifically that if you're going to release stuff into the media, they prefer that you just give them a heads up so that if it's going to conflict with a timeline that they've suggested, but there's no, there was no restriction. It, it was just give us a heads up. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, you have to ask us first. It was simply, you know, courtesy dictates that you, let us know whenever you're making big announcements about this project. Um, and really that largely is because they have their own um, plan. Well, they have their own plan, but they also have marketing people, right? So yeah. if there's a way that you can sh save marketing dollars by boosting each other's um, notices, that's often very effective. Actually, one of the last contracts I signed, part of the contract was they needed at least three, they wanted me to post at least three times on my social media. Oh, like they, they were getting a bunch of artists to do work. And part of the contract was we need to leverage your social media accounts for marketing. So when you do this work, we want you to post about it at least three times. And we want to, they just wanted to approve the post kind of thing. Like, again, like, you know, they just don't want you dropping any F bombs. That's their interesting. Family they're friendly. hiring you for your reach partially. I, Partially. Yeah. I think that was an added bonus that somebody smart in the company was like, why aren't we, you know, for hiring artists, let's take advantage of their platforms. And right. Makes sense. And I was going to post about it anyways. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. I've had, I can't tell you how many cups of coffee in my life. And this, this is one of the best. Now, when you're teaching this social media stuff, Dan, how do you tell your students to build those platforms now that the rules are changing? Uh, it's tough because it changes so quickly, right? Because, um, you know, right now the big thing is TikTok. Uh, are you guys on TikTok? Anybody? No? Nobody? Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not on TikTok, but I, I also don't fit it very well no and that's the thing like it, it, but i'm seeing some incredible like some huge celebrities on tiktok um for example that you wouldn't think would be on there uh who is on there i was just seeing the other day uh kyle mclaughlin oh yeah so, uh agent oh. cooper from twin peaks he is on there and he is using it as a platform to promote his wine brand um <laughs> but he does all kinds of other stuff as well he, he actually makes some really funny little videos on there um and there was some, I think Bon Jovi as well. So a lot of these feel like people kind of jumping on the bandwagon to try and reach this younger audience that, that already TikTok. You can do that, right? Say again? If you're already famous, you can do that. Yeah, exactly. No, but for the students, it's tough because they don't have anything valuable to share yet. They don't have any content. <laughs> uh, they don't. Oh, come on. Nobody cares. Unless you have content to share, 
Nobody cares, right? I hope that's how it's described in the syllabus. <laughs> uh, I do. I do. I knock them right down. It's like, you guys are just starting out. You've nothing, done nothing to, to promote yet. Um, now, they are tweeting and they are posting. We do generally use Twitter kind of as our main platform when it comes to social media as, as far as our program goes. And I do have students, for example, tweeting about the podcast they're listening to as part of my class. Um, they are currently creating their own podcasts. Uh, they have to create two episodes of a, an original podcast for my class. And then we'll talk about the marketing of it. And what I tell them is to look for other people talking about the same kind of stuff. If your podcast is about movies, look for other people talking about movies. So search up those hashtags, search up those terms, do a little social listening and find people out there that are actually also talking about the same stuff you're talking about. Uh, like another good example is the Mandalorian uh, which is, of course, back now. Uh, season two is, is airing on Disney+. Plus. And so in my podcast, Star Wars Nerds, we are talking about The Mandalorian every week. And we are, when we tweet about it, we're targeting people and we're, we're interacting with people who are also talking about The Mandalorian and kind of trying to grow our audience that way. Now, can I just nerd for a second about The Mandalorian? Yeah. Did it feel like they made a concerted effort to do Dune quickly before... No, um, I, I, I mean, that's, everyone's making that joke because the one, the thing Fremen looks like a sandworm. Fremen and sandworms are the two like main like elements of that episode. But so are they saying that George Lucas stole that idea from, from Frank Herbert or what? I'm pretty sure that George Lucas himself has admitted to getting those, the idea for the sand people. They and, uh, all stole it from Beetlejuice. <laughs> you just watch that with the kids actually this is great. Oh. yeah i know i did too it was good they liked it um yeah don't say his name anymore i was quite surprised actually in that episode where it turns out the crate dragon is a sandworm type creature it's something that's been around since the very beginning like there was an, um there's a scene in in the first movie where a 3po walks by a big skeleton in the desert and that's supposed to be a crate dragon and it didn't even occur to me that it was a worm even though it kind of looks like when you go back and look at it it does look like it uh, but I always assumed because they called it a dragon, it had wings, right? That's what you think of when you think of the word dragon. So um, anyway, it was. I thought it was a good episode. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, uh, speaking of movies, how did uh, the fan quest um, like movie sharing the watch along the watch along go? Uh, no, not not great. We didn't get a ton of participation in it. Um, but the overall, like the highlight of that whole night was uh, the two panels we did the the horror panel that that Greg was part of. Uh, with with uh, J-Ball and Steve Kostansky. Uh went really well. People really enjoyed that. And, um, and then we did a cosplay panel after that. Uh, those two things were great. The two other aspects that didn't work as well were the trivia. We didn't have a ton of people taking us up on the trivia, unfortunately. And the, um, although I found a great platform to do it through, a, a great online platform that lets me put in questions and stuff and do it live on the internet. Like, like um, it's like one of those... Um, those Jackbox games that you play when you just log in on your phone kind of thing. Um, and then, but the two panels were great. The, the, uh, it was funny because we, we did play the movies. We did have the, the rooms on Discord, the chat rooms and everything ready on Discord. But it's like, it felt like we had these, we created these two empty rooms on the internet where <laughs> a movie was, it's like, imagine a room in which a movie is playing, but there's nobody in there. That's what we created on the internet. That's a convention. So that's actually right on there's always one. There'd be those auditorium rooms with some like random movie playing and there'd be like four people yes, occupying sir. the 60 seats. Yeah, no, that's totally what happens at a convention. <laughs> it yeah. is, yeah. 
So I didn't feel too bad about that, to be honest. It was like, well, we, we tried it. It was worth a shot uh, to see if we could get it done. And then, you know, didn't get the uptake on it, but that's okay. It, it, overall, I was happy with how it went. These days, you just have to try things. Yeah. Right? Like, who knows? Who knows how it was going to work, right? I, I love the horror panel, though. That was so much fun just talking about horror movies and, and even, especially getting Steve's uh, input because we don't talk to him a lot. Like, we talk to you guys, you and Jabe all the time, but Steve is kind of, you know, outside our group. And he's got lots of great experience. Can we still watch it online? Uh, yeah, they, you archived it, didn't you? Yeah, it's on the Facebook page. Yeah, you can go back and watch it. Yeah, it was cool to... Uh, to, and what was neat about that, too, from my perspective, I heard J Ball give answers, or Dr. Jonathan Ball, I should say, uh, give answers that uh, I hadn't heard before about mm. that, which were prompted by Steve's uh, references to the practical aspects of making the films, which then, you know, led me to think about some of my own answers in a different way. I had just a heck of a good time on that conversation. Maybe it's worth us stealing the audio from it and throwing it on the Podcast. We could do that. Um, Jay Ball has also asked for a copy, so I will give him a copy, and then let's all yeah, we'll, let's put it out there. That's fine. Sounds yeah. good. As long as Steve's okay with that, I think he'd be um, fine with that. I'll check with him. Yeah, that was a really that was a good time. This cherry pie is a miracle. Would you please ask the lady with the log to speak up? We are currently Justin and I, uh, for the dear listener's sake. Uh, we both have a stack of books in front of us and we're doodling away furiously while uh, we record this podcast because all those wonderful people who supported our Kickstarter get all kinds of extra goodies. So we're drawing in all of them right now. Nice. And I had a sleepover at the studio with the kids. We built forks out of all of our packing and convention uh, materials. There's basically <laughs> like a, um, like a uh, little villa, cardboard village right now in the studio. <laughs> In the wee hours tonight, well, the kids, they usually fall asleep before I do. Um, I'll also be drawing in books like a fiend. So we're trying to make our own fun during the quarantine. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Yeah. Um, November is NaNoWriMo month. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Are you not doing it this Like last year, you and, is it you and Sam were both, we're both really on top of it last yeah, year. Yeah. Well, so I'm doing NaNoWriMo, but um, not as part of NaNoWriMo. I have a new novel due to my publisher, so I'm just so writing just it happening <laughs> every when, day, yeah. adding, you know, I try to do about 1500 words a day. And because I don't have to finish in a month, right? I've got a s extra time. I'm just sticking to that schedule. Mm -hmm. um, throwing any other writing on top of that schedule for me right now is just, a, would be a little, uh, I have the time for it, but it actually thin my interest. Because you're much. being forced to hit a goal? Yeah. No, it's more like, um, you know, it's a pretty stressful time overall, just with family and some other personal stuff that's going on. So I have like a little reservoir of like joy that I get from writing uh, and that I can fill up with writing. And it's just at this nice equilibrium. 1,500 words in prose is a just nice equilibrium that I don't use it up and it kind of refills itself. It's self-sustaining right now. If I also tried to add another book in the NaNoWriMo, for me, right now, wouldn't work so much. And you're already any... doing it. You're doing it. So who cares? Yeah. Are there any, like, uh, I'm, I'm not too familiar with it, but at the end of it, with those 50,000 words, are you expected to share? Or... You don't have to share the whole book. What's, it, what's expect? You can. And are you expected, to, like, 50,000 words is a full book. 
It's not, but it can be. Yeah. Right. Depending on the publisher and depending. Okay. So there's a lot of like subtlety. And for the dear listeners, it's like, what the heck is a NaNoWriMo? Uh, it's National Novel Writing Month is the month of November is the idea behind NaNoWriMo. And so you try to write 50,000 words in 30 days, which is a good first draft of a novel. It's like getting 10 pages of a comic done, right? It, right. It gets the ball rolling. Gets the ball rolling. You get your, your outline done. Now there's a lot of people who write 100,000 words and they call that a novel. Some write you know, 40 or 30. Uh, Automatic Age, I think, only clocks in at about 15,000 words. Like, it's a short little book. What? So it's... Uh, it's longer than that, isn't it? No. Jeez. No. It's all those pictures. If you, if you add 1,000 words for every picture, then it's like uh, 35,000 yeah. words. Yeah. It's just a teeny little book. <laughs> um, so, but you, however, let's, enough about me, you're doing it I, for the first time. Kind of, so... I Don't think, back up now. <laughs> so I've kind of, um, I've accepted a couple of things about how I work. Um, so I learn best in a group of people, like in a classroom with other people doing the same thing. That's the ideal learning environment for me. Um, and recently now with all the gyms shutting down and stuff like that, I, I, really don't like working out on my own either. I was always in classes doing things with other people and I did like 10 times the amount of work when it was with other people versus just me on my own. I, I slack. It's safe to say you're a little bit competitive. I think I'm a little bit competitive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I've got this book project that's been kind of rolling around in the back of my head for a while and I've chipped away at it here and there, but I've never really had a fire lit under my butt about it. And then the other night I saw um, somebody that I, I knew through like the convention scene, like back in the day, who always talked a lot and never did anything. And they posted a thing about- I was about, gonna ask you to name them, but- No, well, I'm not, not gonna now. name them. But they posted a thing about how they're gonna do NaNoWriMo and like all the, again, just a lot of talk. And it just kind of fired me up to like, okay, well now I'm gonna do it and beat this person. <laughs> so wait, your motivation is spite? I think it was like just the, you know, <laughs> the little bit of spark that I needed, like the extra bit of reason to do it is just to, uh, I just hate people who talk about doing things all the time and never do anything. And yeah, so I'm doing it. Out yeah. of spite. <laughs> well, you know, and that's it largely how NaNoWriMo started was just a bunch of people feeling like they needed a community to help remind them that it's possible, that it's hard, that it's fun, that it's draining, but also rewarding. And like, it's like a support group for a month. Okay. And but also then there's the other thing. I just finished a hundred page graphic novel. <laughs> so <a> slacker. <laughs> 50,000 words of writing seems really easy. And like I did 5,000 last night. I'm yeah. like this, I didn't have to draw that scene. Yeah. I just wrote you just about said it. That it. You happened. know how easy that was <laughs> in comparison to drawing it? Oh my God. I mean, and this is the age old uh, battle of comics, right? Uh, writers will often lament at the difficulty of writing a particular scene. But anyone who's had to draw that same scene yeah. knows that, no, writing it's way easier than drawing. Yeah, oh yeah. God. And I can, as a person that does both, I 100%, yeah. I'm on your side here. Drawing a 100-page graphic novel would be like doing 150,000 words for <laughs> NaNoWriMo, right? 
Now I'm not saying like what I wrote is, is very great yet, but I'm sure by the end of 50,000 words, I'll be able to come back and retool everything that I started with. It's the exact same as, I think it's the exact same as a graphic novel. Those first couple of pages are usually pretty rough and don't end up in the final book, but you kind of need to make those mistake pages to get into the groove of making real pages. Okay, well, here's an advantage you have over other people who are doing prose for the first time. People who have decided to write a book for their very first time, NaNoWriMo is a really helpful, uh, 50,000 words is a good achievable goal. The real problem, the hard part about making a book isn't coming up with an idea or even getting 5,000 words a day. The hard part is keeping the entire project alive in your head and in focus mm. from start to finish and getting it out. You've got a lot of, pro you've got practice with that. Right, so to you that doesn't seem daunting to keep a whole story and the layers of those stories and the beats of that story and what it really means and what you'll say and what people will see versus what they'll hear. That's something you already have a lot of experience with. Mm -hmm. So of course it doesn't frighten you. But a, a person who's never completed even a short story, it's an enormous undertaking to yeah, no, I get that. write 50,000 words on the same topic for sure. So it just, you know, Depends where you're at. Mm -hmm. You don't run a marathon the first time, right? You've been training. You've been training your whole life for this, Justin. <laughs> Andy, there's a whole world out there. Jump in. Hear the other side. See the other side. I thought. I actually thought about taking part in NaNoWriMo. I uh, I have an idea for a book. I've told you the idea off off air. Uh, it's not a novel though. It's a it's a nonfiction book. Um, and then I thought, oh, maybe I'll start doing that. And I just I didn't. <laughs> I didn't start. Um, so I'm actually trying to take some stuff off my plate as far as uh, things to do, just so I can focus on my main job. It's, it's getting down to crunch time for marketing and that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to take on any new projects in November, uh, just because everything else is kind of coming to a head. So just, just trying to take it easy a little bit. So what you're saying is you'd like to do a good job with the things you already are committed to. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's really what it is. Uh, and, and as much as I think I could write, you know, 1600 words a day or whatever it is, like, I'm sure I could do that. Um, I just don't want to start it and not have, not be able to finish it. Uh, interestingly though, I did have a, so we did, um, I don't know if I told you guys this, but I had my students do Pachachka presentations um, in, a, in one of my classes. And one of them did one on NaNoWriMo. So she talked about how every year she does it. She tries to write a novel in November and she has not completed it yet. She's, she has not finished uh, the 50,000 word goal yet, but she is, she keeps trying. I think that's really cool. I think, yeah, that's, that's the other like advantage that I think I have over somebody who's never written a novel before is like, why are you writing it? Where is it going to go? You know, yeah. like you don't have the publisher lined up. You don't have the like slush funds to print it yourself. And even slush if you funds, it, you know, <laughs> where, where is it going in the end? If you write a novel every November and it's not getting published, then like, you know, what are you working towards? It's, I, yeah, it, yeah, that would really bother me not knowing that answer. External motivation and intrinsic or internal motivation, they're very big factors when it comes to writing a novel. Yeah. Uh, another big one is that the person in the house with you gives you the space and time to write without asking you every day to talk about it. <laughs> Like if anyone undertaking NaNoWriMo, the best advice I can give you for your spouse, loved one, or people in the house is train them not to ask you about it. 
because you're not ready to talk about it. It's not written, it's not finished yet, right? You'll believe you're ready to talk about it and just the wrong look from a person who you love and admire and has chosen to spend your life with can kill that book before it even gets started. <laughs> and they're not doing it on purpose. They just are giving their honest reaction to a person they've given their honest reaction to for years. She's not the demographic for you though. Right? You, you don't so want the honest reaction at this point? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you don't want it. You're not ready for the honest reaction. Not in that first draft stage. Okay. You are absolutely not ready. Because if you're new to writing books, it's a fragile thing. Well, I told, like, I've, I've thought several times as I'm writing this, like, is once, like, Claire or Sam sees this, are they going to laugh at me? Oh, they, she will. Yeah, she's going to rip you apart. <laughs> if you're making a sculpt, it's a sculpture made of smoke, that first draft, right? The slightest, <laughs> right, whiff in the wrong direction or puff in the wrong way, and it just all evaporates, right? But once it exists and you're done with it, it can withstand a lot of criticism. So at what point do you think that book should be sent to somebody else to take a look? Like while it's still made out of smoke or should you rewrite it a couple times until it's at least gravelly? No, don't rewrite it. Finish it. Finish it. And in fact, my experience, my advice is resist the urge to rewrite anything. Wow. Just finish it. Polish it a bit. Like do your spell checks, do your grammar read through. But do, when you're like, ooh, I should rewrite this part, don't. Slap yourself in the face and move on. Uh, get that draft done. Give that rough draft to some people that you trust. And ask them to, oh, get the call. They're gone now. <laughs> I made them go away. I made them go away. Uh, get, see, it's just like that interruption. I lost my train of thought. That's what your book is like, <laughs> right? If it gets interrupted at the wrong time, you're doomed. No, uh, give that draft once it's completed, once all the words are out of you, in the order that you intend them to be in, then let people smash it around. Because you'll have time to realize what parts are bad, and it will really line up to the parts other people point out as being bad. And it will confirm your suspicions that this part needs to be written and this part doesn't. So this is a good um, bit of research for myself and good for the listener. Once you have that, first draft ready to go and you want to hire there's the two kinds of editors there's editor editor and then there's substantive editor yeah Subst copy edits yes copy edits is your spelling and grammar yeah. and then substantive edits is the structure of the story so since i'm fairly new to this i should be getting my book substantively edited yes um what kind of cost am i looking at to do like say it's a 200 page novel standard size like um i would be uh not not right now buddy um i would be i don't want to be misquoted what i think see it's different call sam up let's call sam up right now well that's just it right like <laughs> substantive edits you can get somebody to substantively edit your book for a couple hundred dollars mm -hmm. right but that's also should be commensurate to the amount of time and energy you've put into it so if you do a NaNoWriMo, you put in a month on a book and you spend three or $400 to get somebody to give you some honest feedback on 50,000 words, I think that's good value related to that. 
if you've written an enormous undertaking, you spend a, a huge amount of your time, mm -hmm. and then you're going to undervalue your own work by saying, I'm going to look for the cheapest copy edit or substantive edit. You know, I think that that... Also to like the substantive editor, like what kind of background do they, like if their background is they've written a whole bunch of romance novels and you approach them with your sci-fi horror, is that relationship gonna, like are they still gonna be able to give you what you need? Okay, so I think this is one of those moments where full disclosure is important. Yeah. Um, I've had substantive edits from a few different places, but we have our go-to now. Of course. Right, Samantha Biko uh, is our absolute if I have any, if I have my pick, she's the person that I want. She's busy. Yeah, she's busy uh, <laughs> growing up. Well, she grew a life. She brought it into the world, and now she's raising it. So she's taking a little bit of time. I mean, she certainly hasn't slowed down at all. I think uh, uh, Krampus is my boyfriend is still on track. She just has a baby strap. Yeah, to she just carries she a baby it. with her now. But I'll I'll bring this up. When we were doing Dragon Nanny, we were both really happy with the last draft but it didn't stop us from getting her to look at it. No. Right? And it didn't stop us from paying her to look at it. No. And it didn't stop us from making the changes that she suggested. Um, and that's because we had a good working relationship. We were able to say what it was we wanted from the book and she was able to, uh, she knew how to handle me. It is another way to put it. She knows how to say to me, here are the things that you asked me to keep track of. And here are the ways in which I think your writing style is missing that mark. And here are some suggestions on how you could use your writing style to hit that mark. Right. But we've worked on a number of books together. That's so well, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Like you can only do that because you have the pre-existing relationship. That's got to be a really. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is I admire the other side of it too, is she's a good writer. Like I admire the work that she does herself. I admire the editing that she's done for other people. Um, and Sam, if you're listening to this, um, you know, you're a great person. You're a great human being on top of all that. So it's easy to take that advice and know you're being well handled. Um, but she's got enough edge to tell you when you're being oh, yeah. silly about it. Oh God, she'll just be like, just balance. cut that stupid. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so that takes some time to build that up. So if you're looking, when you get your first substantive edits, what you want to ask yourself is, uh, Wait, what sorry. Just do... Uh, pick this up real quick like is there is there a site or a place or like a, a directory of where you could find substantive editors so there are so many places online now where um agents Fiber. editors not Fiber, <laughs> uh where you can look if you just look up um uh editors for hire substantive or copy edits you will find like literally hundreds but i would actually suggest that if you've already written a novel you must know a writer or you know someone who does writing, or you're a fan of somebody who is a published author. It's a very easy thing for you to go by the referral system once you have a book. You may not know anyone in the writing community, but if you reach out to those people who are in the writing community, if you were to say, you know, author A, I've been reading your books for years, I've just finished one. No, I'm not asking you to read it. Do you know who you would recommend to do some substantive edits on my book. You've done a number of things there. You've talked to them like a peer. You haven't asked them for anything except recommending work that is already good, that they have probably paid for themselves, mm -hmm. right? The same as you would ask for a roofer, right? Someone with a good roof on their house, you might ask them who did it, mm -hmm. right? When you read a book and you think, wow, that's a really great 
well-polished, well-refined novel, and you happen to look into the uh, dedication, and lo and behold, it's dedicated to their editor. Mm. Well, shit, it's time to call that editor up. How often right? does that happen, though? How often does that really happen? I would say about a third of the books in the bookstore are dedicated to the editor. Oh. It's nuts. Look at it. Next time you're in the bookstore, start flipping through there. It's like, Dad, Mom, I've always loved you. Thanks for believing in me. Oh, my, the love of my life. And Bill, who, without whom this novel would not be possible. Bill, the editor, right? <laughs> uh, it's just, because a person that can tell you what to cut is worth their weight in gold. Nothing beats the taste sensation when maple syrup collides with ham. So say I'm a person who's, who's now taking advantage of NaNoWriMo to write my first novel, and I don't have any money to pay for any editing, but I do want to still share it. Like, I guess the question is, when you first started doing this kind of stuff, did you just you share it with your loved ones, your significant others, and that kind of stuff, and then just kind of went with their opinion on it? In order to feel good about myself, I shared with my loved ones. Yeah. Because that's the only feedback you'll receive is, yes, oh, it's so good. Oh, I like well, that what, what if the loved ones aren't like into the, like you're writing science fiction, you're writing horror or whatever, your loved ones don't like that stuff. They don't read so that stuff. The so then the next thing that you do, so you share with your loved ones because you need to be told that they love you, right? Okay. That's not, that actually doesn't help your book at all. It just helps you feel happy that you succeeded in writing a book, right? Good for me. And you can pat yourself on the back because your significant other also thinks you're great right? Um, what you need to do now is you need to be willing to accept that your book is terrible. <laughs> you need to be willing to accept that other people will not like it at all. And that's just the same way that you as a consumer of novels until this point have had books you hated that you put mm -hmm. down that you didn't finish. That's just part of the life cycle of being an author is recognizing that as soon as you finished it, someone's going to hate it. And that's normal. Right? You have to get over that and you have to start sharing it with peers, people who are doing the job that you wish you had or are doing the job along with you. And they'll be at different levels, right? Yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to determine is, is how, like if these people are gonna give you constructive criticism or, or suggestions as far as how you can improve the story, then how, how much of it should you really take and how much Don't, of it should you dismiss? Okay, so the, I believe, now this is, I mean, I'm really soapboxing here. So dear listener, please take some of this with a grain of salt. I'm very opinionated on this particular subject. But um, I think that people who are asking for feedback and they leave it at that deserve whatever they get. <laughs> people who say, could you please read my 20,000 words of this draft, the first few chapters of this book, and tell me, do you think the characters, when they're speaking to each other, are motivated enough in what they're saying that I don't have to put as many actions in the descriptions, right? That is a specific- It's an actionable request. Actionable request, that's the key. You need to ask people for feedback that you can look at as qualitative is and quantitative. Is the dialogue believable? That's right. Yeah, do you get a sense of the environment? Yeah. Is my exposition yeah. good enough? Yeah. Is Harriet, you know, do you hate her? Do you hate her guts? How can I make, uh, make you hate her more? Yeah. Right? These kinds of things are actionable. When we ran the writer's group out of my house for all those years, that was the rule, is that when you shared your story, you had to include on your photocopy of that story three or four specific questions 
not general. Do you like it? That's bullshit, <laughs> right? But I mean, like, really, the only answer is yeah. Yeah, I like it. Oh yeah, you're so <laughs> So good. <laughs> that doesn't help anyone. What you want is specific feedback, and because in our group at that time we mixed with uh, screenwriters and poets and um, nonfiction writers and horror writers and fantasy writers and sci-fi, we got this cross pollination. Uh, in that feedback. You would ask specific questions sometimes of specific people in the group who wrote differently than you mm. because you knew they were better at certain things than you were. And that's, uh, I, like, I can't stress enough how important it is when you're asking for feedback to ask for specific feedback. And that requires you to know what you're good at and you to accept what you're bad at. And that takes a long time. Hmm. Okay, I'm stepping off the soapbox now. Okay. You can see I'm quite impassioned. I, I just want to tell a quick story. I, I remember the first time I read uh, a work of fiction by a good friend, a close friend, Chadwick Ginther, um, and it was Thunder Road. It was his first novel. And I, I, I knew he was writing it. I was not privy to any of the early drafts or anything like that. I was not part of that process, but I knew he was writing it. And when, of course, I went to the launch party. And, and, uh, but when I read it, I was blown away by the fact that somebody I knew had written a book like this. Like it just, I was like, wow, this is like just as good as the other books I read. Like it was, it was, I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean to be sound surprised by that. Chad, Chad's a great guy and he's very smart and he's a great writer. Um, but it was cool that I knew the person that had written the book. I think that was the first time that I felt that I'm like, wow, this is cool. This is like somebody I know who created this thing. And it was just like really, really good. So I came to know Chadwick over a number of years and we attended a couple of different writing retreats together. And the one thing I can tell you observing Chadwick, number one, his writing is excellent. But number two, Chadwick puts in the work. Like he is, and if you're listening to this Chadwick, um, this is some unrequested, uh, un, uh, um, uh, this is an unrequested love letter to watching you work. <laughs> you would just, put his head down in a room full of very interesting people who are having a very good time and be like, listen, we came to this writer's retreat to write. So that's what I'm doing for the next six and a half hours. And you can do whatever you want around me. And he was just laser focused. It was unbelievable to watch. And it made me jealous. And I actually had to, <laughs> at a couple of different times, I'm like, I have to write at least as much as Chadwick, which means I have to leave this environment and go sit in the woods alone because I can't possibly focus as well as he is focusing. Actually, I, I totally get that. It was one, I've been on a couple work retreats and the one where so many people just wanted to sit around and visit was like, no, we're here to work. Yeah, it can be very distracting. But so it's, it's not only that, but when he was putting in that work, he had, a, his, he had an old draft and his plan was to make improvements on the old draft. So I asked him how, what's he doing? And he showed me notes that he had made, careful revision plans he had. He had little sticky notes in the draft book that he had. So he wasn't just reading through it and letting his whims guide him, or at least not on the outside, it didn't look like. He went through with a specific attack plan to improve the parts of the book that needed fixing, that he had looked at before. Was, and this, made a was this Thunder Road he was working on? I No, this would have been a um, Thunder Road would already have been out, and I believe the sequel also. So it might have been the third one, but it could also have been one of... The other thing about Chadwick is he's always got a couple of freaking novels just boiling away. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to, uh, to ask about that. Like with, with graphic novels and illustration projects, I find it's quite great to be able to jump around to different things. Like if you're 
sick of drawing characters on one project, you go to environments on another, go to like, you know, you're doing something completely different there. Like you're, you're always drawing, but it's, you get to switch gears. Wolf and Wing? Wolf and Wing. I, uh, Thunder Road, it's a collection of short stories in the world of Thunder Road. So this is one of the ones he did. Um, so it's the same world, but it's, it's not necessarily centered around the main character. Well, Chadwick also um, uh, is constantly sharing short story sales. Like he is one of the yeah. few authors you know, who really pursues the short story market. Um, and it's clearly because he's just writing all the time. Mm -hmm. and uh, he, yeah, Chadwick, another, uh, he's Chadwick. one of those guys I tell students about who, because he told me, he has actually come to speak to my students at some point, And he told them, like, he gets up in the morning and writes in the morning. That's his time. Um, he gets up early. I don't know if he still does this. This is a while ago that he said this, but he gets up early, 6 a.m., whatever, and spends a couple hours writing before he actually gets up and goes about his day because he does have a day job. Um, and, uh, and yeah, but he, he makes sure he gets those however many words in uh, every day. So, but he's one of those great examples. Again, we'll just this will be the Chadwick Ginther episode. We should get him on here to talk about we it. We should get him in. Yeah, it's been a while. He's one of those uh, writers that from the outside is someone who isn't lamenting. Uh, the other things he has to do in his day, that doesn't get in the way of him getting his words in, doesn't get in the way of him getting, a, getting novel after novel out into the world. He just sits down and writes when it's time to write and goes to work when it's time to go to work and goes to sleep, I imagine, when it's time to go to sleep and watches monster movies all the time from his Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right? So that's the thing. Like, it's, it's not a sprint, Right, like writing novels is a marathon, and you got to go a little at a time, a mile at a time, and and you'll get there. Harry, in the heat of the investigative pursuit, the shortest distance between two points is not necessarily a straight line. I think NaNoWriMo is not the best format for a lot of people. Like to just have that finish line of fifty thousand words. See again, I'm a bad example because I I I do think. Like when it comes to prose, I actually prefer to get my draft in as like all in at once. Like I'll take three or four days where I barely sleep and hardly eat and I yes. will get a draft of a, of a prose work finished. I don't recommend that as the best way to do it, but it's just somehow sometimes I can't get out of my way. So for Automatic Age, I tried the opposite, right? And it's actually the series that I've had the most success at as far as like... Um, uh, publishers being interested in it and and reviewers getting what I'm after and and readers uh, digging into it. And it's actually because instead of doing that sprint, I took my time and I've been pacing myself and saying like 1500 days is uh, or 1500 words a day is okay. I'm going to set up the problem for them to solve tomorrow. And that, in this story in particular, because it's like um, crisis after crisis. That's how I think about it. When I sit down to write, I, I tell myself I'm going to stop once I've set up the problem they have to solve tomorrow. And I don't figure it out. I don't write it knowing what the solution will be. I write them into a horrible catastrophe that there's no way out of. And then the next day I read that, reread that passage and I go, okay, how am I going to get them out of this? Uh, recently I had to kill a character. It was the only way out. <laughs> yeah. Right. The only way out that wasn't erasing. And that's the thing. The only way out of that sequence was to kill someone unless I deleted the writing that I had done previously. 
And since I am abhorred to do such a thing, I'd rather kill a character than delete it. Throw yourself into a corner. Yeah, yeah. There's no way for him to get out of this. Oh, I guess he he doesn't. That's right. Oh man, that's funny. Uh, When you do uh, NaNoWriMo, Greg, and and Justin, I don't know if this is for you, if if you're um, doing this this month, do you ever participate in the kind of the quote unquote official NaNoWriMo stuff? Like they have kind of this network built into the website uh, this is what my student was telling me about in her presentation, where you can log on, you can log your, your words. There are other people on there that can help keep you on track and encourage you to write. Is that, do you guys ever participate in any of that kind of aspect of it? Justin and I were talking about that before you got here. I've never participated in that. Um, not even signed up officially. Mm-hmm. I just use that as my like calendar thing, but just not a different, a different point of view. Well, I, uh, like I, I signed up, like it took, two seconds to sign up and then you just update your, your word count. I did that and I took two seconds to look at the forum and realized it wasn't for me and got out of there. Um, <laughs> well, and that's, it's not to say that like people wouldn't get stuff out of, of what's going on in the forums. It's just, it was all stuff that um, like, I think I, I, I needed to hear when I was starting out making books and I don't need that stuff anymore. You know, like it's, well, it's a lot of supportive, like, yeah, here's how you get started. Here's how you. Let's remember also that we should not take for granted in just the three of us, the number of people every day who are doing creative jobs and creative work and story related and storytelling things. We're not isolated when it comes to the idea of creative expression. A lot of people who are undertaking NaNoWriMo literally have zero people in their lives, right? Who could or would support them at it if they knew how. And so it's, I'm sure it's a lifeblood to a lot of those people, right? Mm -hmm. We just happen to have a community already um, that's literally in the city with us that we can call up, you know? I had a, I had a sort of brain fart to how to, structure some stuff with some writing things the other day and i you know texted two writing friends i knew and i and i emailed a filmmaker and i got some great feedback yeah. uh and so i don't need to go on the nanorimo sure we network have, we have a pretty awesome network I, it's an embarrassment of riches actually yeah. for the people like i should actually be a better writer considering how much more support <laughs> i have right that's that's uh i'll wrestle with that tonight in the wee hours no, we are. That's a good question, though. Yeah, I just I, I thought it was interesting. Like she does, she does very much get into this into this community, and she does say it helps her. Um, and again, but I, you're absolutely right. There are people out there who have no connection to any type of creative uh, uh, jobs or people who who make a living in a creative way. And yeah, there would this. That's what that's for. That's it's for those kind of people for sure. Cool. I feel really lucky too, just knowing that as long as I finish, I can make this a physical book, especially like just doing what I do. Graphic novels are pretty expensive to make, but making a novel by comparison is a pretty, um, like a pretty achievable goal. Yeah. Um, printing wise. So it's, I don't like when I, I, I had Cassie and Tonk like so clear in my mind when I started that project, but I'd never printed the book before. And it just seemed so daunting. It was almost like, I kept, you know, worrying, like, am I just being foolish thinking this is going to be a thing one day? And now that that's, now that I've got like 10 books under my belt, it's so nice not have, like, I still have that. I still have that like second guess of like, is this a terrible idea that I should just abandon? 
Well, it's yeah. like, it's risk versus reward at this point for us, right? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you're going to make things anyway, because it's in us to do. We have it as a habit now, right? And anything that you turn into a habit produces results. Some of them, you know, most people think of habits as being, you know, producing only, you know, lung cancer from your cigarettes or uh, uh, crippling debt from your gambling addictions, right? Those habits are bad habits. But uh, when you get into habits of making things every day, then it, you know that eventually you're going to have a pile of shit that you made. So you might as well figure out some things to do with it because it's like um, the Winnipeg listeners will know about Kern Hill Furniture Co-op and how they would leave the sofa machine on, right? It starts to pile up. So you got to sell it at a discount, right? You don't get so precious with your ideas if you have lots of ideas coming that you're actually making into things. So if you make a novel and you send it to publishers and people don't bite on it. So then you print 500 copies and you sell 500 copies at shows. Then it was, that's all it well, was supposed to be. And there's no, nothing to worry about. Here's my other silver bullet too. I'm a, I'm a print artist. Yeah. Like, you know, that's like the majority of my income is still, I make posters and people will pay $25 for a poster. Well, if I've got a novel that I'm passionate about, I can make a, a print series to go with said novel and you can either pay $60 to get the, all the new paintings that I just made or for $40, you get the paintings and my new novel. <laughs> You'll use your book as a loss. Right? Later. Like it's, yeah. I have this whole other like empire to lean on. Well, you know, and that's the thing, like if you're just focusing on, can you make money? Well, don't mm -hmm. write books, right? It's, that's, it's yeah. too hard. If you're just focusing on can you make money, don't make art, period. If you are going to make it anyway, then finish. The actual failure is not finishing. That's where the failure is. Mm -hmm. If you are endlessly rewriting your book and you have been rewriting it for 10 years, I, I appreciate that you work on your craft, but you actually have not succeeded in writing yet. Succeeding is finishing, taking a whole bunch of criticism for what sucks about it, applying that criticism to the new one, and then moving forward with some dignity. That's what writing is really about if you're planning on doing it as a job, right? That's, it's a, an enormous thing for people to get their heads around. But really, until you start getting bad reviews, I don't really consider you a writer to begin with. <laughs> Because you're, the purpose of writing is to be read. So if you're not sharing it, then it's journaling. And that is a different thing. And by all means, do it. It's good for your brain. It's good for your heart. But it's not writing in that big capital W sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. My soapbox is getting rickety. Um, all right, Dan. I think that this has been super pulp science where we've talked about how drama gets made we've talked about the hows and whys of writing books and making comics and just getting your words out there this is gregory kamichak encouraging all of you to join the fight and make comics